0: listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Well, we are at week six of our Genesis series. We're going to do, uh, besides today, we'll have two more uh, Sundays talking through Genesis. We won't get very far. We'll Get uh, what eleven chapters into Genesis, and then we will uh, jump into our Lent series in preparation for Easter. But uh, we'll get back to Genesis at some time this this year. But so far, we've looked at two different creation accounts. There's Genesis one and Genesis two, and and they're not exactly the same. Uh, Genesis two seems to focus on days three, five, and six of creation, and it tells a story a little differently, and so by looking at those differences, we can maybe find some, some themes, some things that maybe God's trying to tell us. And then uh, we looked at Genesis 3, and we see Adam and Eve in a walking, talking serpent. And that should raise some eyebrows. What is this about? And, and we talked about sin and shame and uh, just the impact that sin has on relationship. And then last week, we talked about Genesis 4, Logan preached, and, and we looked at Cain and Abel. And we saw the first murder uh, in, the, in the scriptures. And we see this conversation between God and Cain. And God says, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. You must master it. But Cain doesn't master it. Cain does not master his desires. Uh, he brings an offering, but what does that offering tell us? God, God says that he had regard for Abel's offering, but not for Cain's offering. And what does that, what is, what does that tell us about Cain's heart? And a theme that we see over and over and over again already is that we are not animals. That we shouldn't be mastered by our desires. Desires are not necessarily a bad thing. The things that we desire are not necessarily a bad thing. But when they control us, when they master us, that is a bad thing. And this is a theme because in Egypt, Israel saw these gods that were a mixture of man and beast. And God says... No, you are distinct from the animal world. You are unique in creation. In fact, we can look at Genesis 1 and determine that God believes that you are the crowning glory of creation. And we're going to see a shift in the story here. We're going to see people moving further and further away from God. As, As sin continues to dominate the landscape, And our call to action last week is whatever's getting in the way of you experiencing God and that could be different for each of us but whatever's getting in the way of you experiencing God put it in his place. I've been following Christ for 40 some odd years, 44 years. And there's still things that want to dominate my life, that want to There's desires in me that I have to manage, I have to control. And there's things that I still have to put in its place if I'm going to experience God the way he wants me to experience him. So this week we're going to look at the flood story. And we're not going to read the flood story like we have been reading because it's several chapters and I want to get you home before one o'clock. You'll appreciate that. I'll appreciate that. That, and I lost half my sermon this morning... Thanks to technology. We'll just crank this thing and see what pops out. But um, we know this story, right? Who else has decorated their nursery with Noah's Ark? Raise your hands. Are we the only family? Okay, oh, there's a couple families. (laughs) Yeah, people sheepishly raising their hands. I, I'm trying to think who, who it was that brought this up that, that first made me laugh. It might have been, I'm trying to think of the comedian that we like, Tim Hawkins. Maybe it's Tim Hawkins. It's like, why are we decorating our children's rooms with a story about the destruction of the entire earth? I want to cr- create a space for you to feel safe, child of mine. <laughs> We're going to decorate your room. <laughs> We know this story, and we talk about the lullaby fact. Maybe we know the story so well that we've missed some things. And so instead of reading the story, we're actually just going to talk through some of the things that maybe we missed because we're so familiar with it. Well, you maybe remember this movie from several years ago. Um, and we'll talk more about this movie next week, I think. But um, they wrote an article, and and they brought up the fact that no, that this is not the first flood account to be recorded, and it's true. The Israelites grew up with a flood account. Going back to Abraham, Abraham and his ancestors had a flood account that's older than the Bible's flood account. Let's take a look at the next slide, because this, this comes right out of Time Magazine. The Sumerian epic of Gilgamesh dates back to nearly 5,000 years, and it's thought to be perhaps the oldest written tale on the planet. In it, there is an account of the great sage, oh, that guy's name, we'll call him <laughs> Mist- Ut, we'll call him Ut. Who is warned in the imminent flood to be unleashed by who? Wrathful Wrathful gods. Isn't that a common theme in our folklore? There's wrathful gods, and man has to overcome. Next slide. He builds a vast circular shaped boat, reinforced with tar and pitch, that carries his relatives. Sounds familiar. Grains and animals. Sounds familiar. After enduring days of storms, Mr. U, like Noah in Genesis, releases a bird in search of dry land. So this is not the first flood story. Probably because there was a flood. That's my guess. Like all these civilizations, all these people groups had their own version of a flood story. Maybe there was a flood. But... What's so common about the other flood stories is that there's a wrathful God that man has to overcome, that man has to outwit, man has to defeat, and that's, that's been kind of the common theme in the first few chapters of Genesis anyway, that maybe the God that we serve is a different God, a different kind of a God. or well, our story starts in Genesis 6, 5 through 8 the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Wow, it's a bleak start to a story. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, For I am sorry that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, if you go on and read the rest of uh, chapter 6, we would find that Noah is a righteous man. But notice that favor grace with God comes first. I don't know of a story where that's not true. I don't know of a story where it's not true where God's grace doesn't come first before righteousness. And God comes to Noah and says, I want you to build me an ark. And it's going to be this big and this wide and this tall and this deep and and you're going to need space because we have all kinds of what? What goes in the boat with them? Animals. Yeah. Whose plan is this, by the way? Is this Noah's plan? This is definitely God's plan. This is God's plan. See, I think what we see here is that God had stepped back from humanity and said, you think this works better without me in the picture. Let's find out how that works. And God stepped out of the picture, and it's kind of like Lord of the Flies. You guys remember the book, Lord of the Flies? Me either, because I didn't read any of the books I wrote a report on in high school, but I heard about it. (laughs) A little too honest from your pastor. Um, God steps out, and what results is every intention of the heart of man is evil. Evil. And when God steps back in to the picture, he steps back in the picture with Noah and he starts there. And if you look at the rest of the scriptures, you're gonna see the story of God stepping in and choosing people to partner with him to bring peace to the chaos. He's gonna like Adam was part of creation, right? He got to name the animals. That's a that's a creative thing to name things. I know because we name our sermons every week, and we come up with creative names. This is called recreation. It's as creative as we are. Adam was invited into the creation process. Noah, we're going to see, is going to be invited into the creation process. Partner with God, and then and then the other patriarchs. We're going to see as we go further. But God will destroy all flesh. I've asked you over the last few weeks, is this an angry God? Because the Egyptian gods were angry. They were angry, like they were chaotic and and there's anger involved in the creation story itself. Was, Was God angry in this creation process? And the answer was no. And even when we look at Genesis 3 and and. I don't see anger as the primary emotion. I I see sorrow from God. And even in this story, again, he he says he's sorry that he made man. But we're also going to see that God definitely deals with sin because it has to be dealt with. At the end of the flood story in 821, it says this. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma because Noah had, had uh, performed a sacrifice, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. so the story starts with a problem, and it looks like we still have the same problem. Do you see that? We still have the same problem there 's still evil in man 's heart. This was a solution. How effective was the solution as parents we've we 've uh, we've probably all lost our minds with our children at some point. Can I get an amen? We have all lost our minds. And we were probably justified to lose our minds. To absolutely lose it. But when we step back, did we find that that was particularly redemptive when we lost our minds? Was it particularly redemptive? Did it it actually produce the results that we hoped it would produce? And these are probably a couple bookends, right? Let's take a look at the next slide. Uh, next slide, that one, yep, so in six five every intention of man 's heart is evil eight twenty one intentional man 's heart is evil, these seem to match up don 't they, and then in seven days, i 'll send the rain, so you 're going to have to wait, Noah, and in eight twelve Noah waited another seven days. those seem to match up genesis seven ten after seven days, the water. Uh, of the flood came, so he waited seven days. And in 8.10, Noah waited another seven days. Those seemed to match up. The flood continued for 40 days in 7.17. 8.6, Noah opened the window after 40 days. Those seem to match up. What do we call this, guys? Chiasm. It's a chiasm. It's a literary tool of that the Hebrews used in the scriptures. And then the waters pervade. Uh, I should say prevailed, 150 days. Pre-failed. We got our shortcoming. (laughs) Uh, All of our, by the way, all of our uh, sermons are recorded online, and then we have a podcast that follows this sermon, and it's called Footnotes, and we talk about our mistakes. So Uh, the waters prevailed 150 days, and the waters abated after 150 days. So, the question is, what's right in the middle? Well, let's take a look at the next one. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind blow over the earth, and the water subsided. This... It's the center of the chiasm. And my question for you is, why does God have to remember? Did he get distracted? I mean, it's not like me when I start something on the oven and I'm also, you know, uh, doing something with the, uh, oh, our hot tub outside. And so I, I start cooking something and I walk away and I'm out there, you know, checking the, The chemical levels in the hot tub because I have sunlight, and that you know sunlight's kind of precious this time of year. And so, while I'm out the hot tub, I suddenly remember that I'm also cooking something in the kitchen. (laughs) Is this what's going on with God? (laughs) Did He forget? Did He forget? Well, we'll come back to that. Something interesting is the rabbis will tell us that this is a retelling of the creation story. Let's take a look at the next slide. So, day one, we have light and darkness is created, right? Uh, in Genesis 8 6, we're told that Noah opened the window. Before the window's open, it's dark. When he opens the window, it's now light. Uh, day two, uh, water and sky and Genesis eight, seven, the raven is sent out. And when he's, when that raven's sent out, all there is, is water and sky. That's all he can see, right? Poor little bird. Uh, day three, we got the land and the seas and Genesis eight, seven, we see the waters are dried up. Uh, day four, sun, moon, and stars. There's a midrash for this. And I, I don't even know. So we'll press on. Um, day five: fish and birds. Well, uh, the dove is sent out, and it's a different bird, so that's significant to the rabbis. And then day six, you have the animals and humans. and in Genesis 8:16, Noah is sent out of the boat. Now, if this is a recreation account, there should be a blessing, right? Isn't there a blessing at the end of uh, our creation account in Genesis 1? Let's look at the next slide. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful multiply. We may have heard this someplace else. Some of this language may be similar. And fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat its flesh with its life, that is, its blood. For your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning of the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed For God made man in his own image, and you be fruitful, multiply, increase greatly on the earth, and multiply in it. Might be a chiasm in there. We'll talk about that on footnotes. So if this is a retelling of the creation story, or another creation story, or if there's some similarities between this story and the creation account, we should see a blessing, and we do. And we should also see Sabbath, because isn't Sabbath an important part of the creation story? Well, let's take a look at the next slide. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, behold, I established my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark for it is every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant that may between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and in the Earth, when I bring clouds over the Earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that's between me and you and all living creatures and all flesh, and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I'll see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on Earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So again, I'll ask the question, why did God rest in creation? Is it that he got tired? Is it like me doing push-ups in my class on Saturday morning? And my buddy Cody saying, keep going. I'm like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think I can. <laughs> we talked about this, I think on footnotes, uh, when you're creating something, like uh, the statue David, if you take just one more swing of the hammer, if you don't learn to stop creating, at some point you don't have the statue of David. It just all falls apart. God knew when to say enough when it came to creation. He said, it is good. It's enough. And he invites us to recognize that we have enough, that we are enough, that what he created us for is good enough. And we see a similar Sabbath here. God says... It is enough. I, my vengeance has been exacted enough. In fact, I think we're going to see some other things here. The intent of man's heart has not changed, right? We saw that. And so God says, I'm going to have to change my tactics. I'm going to have to approach this problem differently and like parents isn't that something is haven't we always been trying to figure out well what tactic what new tactic am I going to use with my (laughs) with my son (laughs) my daughter now me personally nothing has made me feel dumber than being a parent (laughs) because all my tactics that worked on 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 children one didn't work on children child two right josh And all my tactics with Josh didn't work on joy. And all my tactics with joy didn't work on Jasmine. I'm not God, though. So, God is going to change tactics. He's going to choose to partner with man. Just look at the next slide. So, in this Genesis 9 account, we see... The bow repeated three times. We see covenant repeated seven times. We see cloud repeated four times. And sign repeated three times. And so we we see these repetitions. And when we see these repetition words, there may be a chiasm. So let's look at the next slide. At the center of the chiasm, it says this, It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth when you bring the clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds. I will remember. It's the same word. It's not used a whole lot in this section of Scripture, but it's used twice in this story. God says, I will Remember. We'll have to talk about covenants and and what some of the implications this has to do with covenants. So we'll we'll do that on footnotes. But think about coming out of boat. You've been in that boat what a year? Just over a year. It's only rained once in your history and when it did rain it wiped out the whole earth you hear the pitter-patter of rain start to fall again oh can you imagine what that feel like can you imagine how scary that would be. Can you imagine Satan saying, "Saying, did God really say He would not bring another flood?" <laughs> but God repeats Himself over and over and over and over again in this. And it's, it's even in reading; it's even a little awkward the, the number of times He says "covenant," and other times He says "cloud," and number of times He says "bow," and. It's kind of like when you uh, adopt a rescue dog and you know that they've been beat and you you raise your hand just to do something normal and the dog like whimpers away and you have to retrain that dog like, no, that's not how we operate here. That's not how we work here. And think about the bow. We call, the, we call it a rainbow, Right? We love it because of its pretty colors. But this is a military term. This word for bow. All the other times in scriptures, they're talking about a man taking a bow to strike another man. Think about the bow. Which way is it pointed? It's pointed up. God is willing to deal with sin. God absolutely will deal with sin. But he'd rather harm himself than harm you and me. I kept asking you this question over the last few weeks. Do we see God angry in this story? Do we see God angry in the story? Well, in this story, we do see his judgment. And if we see his judgment, then we have to ask ourselves, what do we learn? I think of Jesus saying that someone will come to him and, and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. And that statement has always scared me. I'm like, man... There's nothing else I'm going to make sure of. I'm going to make sure that Jesus absolutely knows me. <laughs> like he's, I'm going to knock on his door so many times that he has no choice but to recognize that we know each other. Because I know that there is a judgment, that judgment is coming. And so we have to be mindful of that. God will judge, he will destroy. But he would rather harm himself than harm his people. And I think that's what we see in communion. That's why we take communion on a weekly basis. If we could start passing out the elements. I want to read this passage from 2 Peter to you guys while the elements are going out. Um, Let me say this about communion. Um, we have an open table. If, if this is your first time, just know that if you're here to celebrate Jesus as Lord, then uh, you could partake with us. We're going to ask that you hold the elements until we uh, take them all together. Um, but you are welcome to join us today. We're grateful that you're here. But Peter says this knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days. With scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they'll say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God will deal with sin. There is a day of judgment. But God chooses to partner with people. Let's look at the implication. God would rather, he desires to restore through partners. That's you and I. He didn't. Call us to repentance so that we could just enjoy ourselves for the rest of our life and have some call hell insurance. (laughs) We are called to a mission. Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. We are to follow Jesus, to be changed by Jesus and be on mission with Jesus. When someone chooses to walk away from God... And, I, and I've seen it happen over and over again. I was that person at one point. God uses partners to call them back. He uses their prayers. I believe that when we pray for someone that doesn't know God, that we're actually inviting God into that person's life. He's called us to partner with him. When we see a marriage failing, we step in. When we see... Our neighbor's hurting. We step in. That's what we're called to do. Adjust your life to his mission. Are you willing to let the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ forever change the way you live as a partner with God? And so that's why we look at communion and consider again what Jesus has done. Jesus lived his whole life on mission with the Father. And this is a reminder to me that I need to live my life on mission with him. Because God will deal with sin. But he'd rather harm himself. He'd rather hang on the cross than let you or I do that. Lord Jesus, night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, I want to thank you for what you're willing to do to show me how much you love me. What you're willing to do for all of us to show us how much you love us. What you're willing to do for this world. Lord, we're going to sing another song to celebrate you as creator, as savior. I pray, Lord, that this song would become our song of commitment to you, to live for your mission. We love you in Christ and I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.